This is our foundation for how humans have lived and thrived for millennia. And that's where we start. And then we can begin the healing process, but keeping that healing process in touch with, in a holistic sense, not only with ourselves, but with our community and with the natural world, then we're healing as a whole. Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Gennari. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Hey Change podcast. Today we're talking to Jack Adam Weber. He's an award-winning author for environmental and social justice, a licensed acupuncturist and Chinese medical herbalist, celebrated poet, certified yoga and Qigong instructor, climate activist, mental health advocate, and permaculture farmer. He has authored hundreds of articles, thousands of poems, and several books, and writes extensively on the subjects of holistic medicine, emotional depth work, mind-body integration, and the climate crisis, compassionately challenging his readers to think and act outside the box. His latest book, Climate Cure, Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet, goes into depth about the healing work we're here to take on as individuals to grow emotional resilience and become forces to be reckoned with in this world. In this conversation, we'll get a chance to dive into some aspects of that work and learn what it means to have healthy guilt and healthy shame, as well as how these oftentimes unwanted or uncomfortable emotions can empower us to make substantial and powerful change. We begin by asking Jack to introduce himself and his work before diving right in to discussing a very interesting movie, and we're curious to know your thoughts about it too. We discussed the movie Don't Look Up and what messages it brought or perhaps didn't bring to the masses. We know you're going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, let's dive right in. This is Jack Adam Weber. I became really passionate about climate change and climate activism. Um, it sprung out of my practice of holistic medicine and I just, it dawned on me after a little while that if our planet isn't well, then how well can our natural medicine be? So I sort of adopted the, the, the planet and the, the climate as my, as my patient, so to speak. And the book Climate Cure, what is it about and why did you write it? I, I wrote it because I was really astounded at how far the climate crisis had progressed. And I just was face palming it, you know, just every day wondering how we can so nonchalantly walk towards our demise and not do um, enough about it. And that kind of segues us into the movie Don't Look Up because it's kind of the whole premise of that film is how can we walk towards our demise and not do anything about it? What did you feel when you first saw it? Um, I had heard about it. So I had read about it prior to seeing it. I don't have a Netflix account, so I was delayed in seeing it. But I, I laughed out loud a lot of times during the movie. And I think it really validated um, 
climate activists and the people that really care and the people that like myself and probably you on most days, you know, banging our heads um, as to like, what can we do? Why are we doing this? And why don't more people pay attention? So um, I thought it was, it was an, I, I thought it was a brilliant combination of, of humor. And then, you know, the, the, you know, a bit of sardonicism, the, the, the um, satire of it. And, you know, but ultimately for me, it was, you know, I, and maybe this is just my own um, colored glasses, but, you know, I, I saw it as a call to action. I mean, how can you not, to me, that the, the um, elephant in the room was climate action. And yet what, what, what just made me put my, my face in my palms more so was, was seeing how people responded to it, right? Seeing our social media um, community respond to it. And I don't think I saw anybody mention a call to action, you know, in their commentary, in their posts or anything about it, um, or even in the articles that I read. And I just, you know, and to me, that's just a replay of the movie, right? It's like, so, um, so for me, the bottom line of that movie is wake up, do something. I found it really interesting that there were so many plays, you know, like plays on words and, and plays on, you know, what, what is going on in our world. The idea, even just in don't look up, you know, in the movie, they're talking about don't look up to see the meteor that's coming, you know, to kill us all. There's that, you know, that obvious title there, but it also felt like don't look up from your phone. You know, it felt like the grasp that, um, you know, I could say corporate America, you know, but the, the economic forces that continue to drive us hurtling towards catastrophe ne don't necessarily want us to look up from what we're doing long enough to be able to see what's going on and make changes in our lives to correct this or to, you know, not chase after what I call the golden carrot. You know, if we're chasing after a golden carrot, you know, which is we're supposed to be better, we're supposed to look better, we're supposed to um, be richer. We're supposed to have the, a better car and a bigger house and all these things. That's the golden carrot that's waved in front of our heads. Um, if we don't look up from that, then we'll keep chasing those things and continue to drive the economy the way that it has been. Um, and Therese, I know that you had big discussions in your family about don't look up that you and Arthur had really different reactions to the movie. Yeah, it was a very interesting experience. We actually saw it in theaters, so before it live or streamed on Netflix. And <clears throat> I walked into it being very excited because I knew it was about climate change. I hadn't really disclosed this to Arthur because I wanted to trick him into going with me. Not that he doesn't care, but <laughs> so for, it was interesting. I'll just tell, take it back to um, what happened. When we walked out of the theaters, he asked me, you know, what did you think about the movie? And I was like, it was awesome. <laughs> and he had had the absolute opposite experience. He's like, I almost thought of walking out a few times. And it was interesting because what happened after that, we walked home and we started this huge fight between the two of us. I'm like, how can you not see this is exactly what climate change is about? And he was asking me, like, what is the call to action? Just what Jack was saying. He's like, okay, what do they want me to do after seeing the film? Like, are they trying to blame me? Do they want me to shop less? Should I vote differently in the next election? Because all I feel right now is that our world is shit. Politics don't work. And there's nothing to work for anyways, because you're going to fail. And so it was interesting to hear his take on it. And I'm like, well, that is exactly how everyone who cares about climate change feel. And 
it led into uh, hourly long. No, we actually talked about it for like probably three, four hours that night because we cooked dinner and had dinner and like continued to talk about the movie. And what was so interesting to me was that I really understood how differently we perceived the movie depending on our different backgrounds. Me, who has been worried about climate change since I was about 13 years old, I was just justified in all my feelings. I felt seen, I felt heard. I felt like finally there's a movie that completely describes you know, my life basically. And all the old emotions were stirred up to surface and I was angry and frustrated and wanted to get to action right away. And I realized that since he doesn't come from that, he was confused, he felt shamed, he felt blamed, and he was not very clear on what he was supposed to do to make it better. And I think that comes back to what Jack was saying. And it's interesting to hear your take on what you think the media and social media has been doing with the film since it's been launched, because it is a replay of the movie itself. It's like, it's not like we're coming together and saying, okay, now let's look at the action steps and get to action. We're again discussing, you know, how real it is and how the science doesn't always matter, like all these things. And it just brings me back to my message on climate optimism. And are we telling the story with the wrong narrative. I do think that the movie sparked some awareness with a lot of people, people who haven't been aware on how dire the climate situation is may now have been awoken to that. Um, I think some people will feel very hopeless and just filled with despair because they might look into the climate crisis and be like, oh, holy smokes, this is exactly what the movie says. There's no hope. And then I think it's us who are climate activists who just feel justified in our anger. And then I think there's some people who are just going to feel ashamed and, and you know, pointed at. And I do wonder if we will see the sort of action steps that we want from this. I do think conversations have been stirred, which is really good. But yeah, it's big questions. I was just really interesting to see how differently we viewed the film, especially since I know my husband really does care and he, he lives with me. So he knows these are serious matters. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a great film, but I do think it's yeah. different for different people. Robin, I, I really appreciate your your um, insight on that. You know, don't look up from your phone, and that is that is so true. <laughs> it's it's very true, and you know, just like my biggest takeaways besides a call to action from the movie, and and things that I praised and really appreciated about the movie is that it did not have a happy ending. Right, it was a cataclysmic yeah. ending, and I really appreciated that because I think that so much of what I find in the climate movement, or I or I seem to perceive and experience is that once, once people see that people are doing something, it's almost like people say, oh, good, P other people are taking care of it, right? I mean, just thought of this, this quote, and there's, there's this fellow who said, you know, that the, the, the worst thing that you can do is think that it's, it's someone else's job to, to save the planet, right? Mm. Um, and, and, and I really like, too, that they did not... Um, tell us what to do. They didn't tell the, they didn't give any action. Why? Because it's like, once you name the action, you know, people that there's this thing with entertainment and social media. It's like, when we hear something, we, we, we it, it's removed from reality already, right? It's like entertainment. So this podcast will be entertainment to a lot of, a lot of people. It, people don't realize that that we're actually pointing to something real in the world, right? And so through TV and and media and social media, it's like everything is kind of on this meta reality, and connecting those dots is so important. And so by not sharing the actions that we should take, I felt like it empowered people 
to, I mean, like a sane person, I think a lot of people have sanity. It's just a bit buried. You know, a sane person would say, holy shit, you know, what can we do? Right. And then they go find out what to do because what to do is, is, I mean, there's so much information on what to do. And the issue is not, you know, that people, some people don't know what to do. And some people are confused because there's so many things to do, but people can, can start with one or two things, but you know, it'll cause people to feel empowered. Like, okay, well, no one told me what to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to feel empowered. It's my choice. I'm going to go find out what to do. Right. And, but by the same token, Anne, what you said, I think is really important that the movie just left no hint of what to do really. Right. And, and that, that could, perhaps be, um, you know, a con of the movie, a, a downside of that. Um, but at the same time, I think there's so much information out there that, that people can just Google and figure out what to do pretty quickly. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, on, on the, the issue of shame, Anne, and, and this might segue into some of our conversation is that, you know, some people felt shamed. It's like true. And I, I think so much, I find that people, I wrote this, this blog post called pulling the shame card. Right. And it's like, it seems that people, a lot of people that, that for whatever reason, don't want to get involved, they come up with a justification for why not to get involved. And I feel like people's feeling shame, right. Is one of those cards. It's like, Oh, well, don't shame me. I don't want to be shamed. And that, then that justifies total inaction. Right. And there's such a thing as healthy guilt and healthy shame, right? Like to, to feel ashamed or to feel guilty from seeing the movie to me is a, is a healthy response. And anyway. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because as a parent, like I have a four-year-old and one of the things that we've been teaching him actively is that if you feel embarrassed or shame, that that is your body letting you know that you are in not in harmony with the actions that you want to take that are in line with your values. So if you feel shame, it's because you're not doing the thing that you actually want to be doing. And to use that feeling as like a, a galvanizing force to, to make an adjustment. Maybe it's an apology if it's an interpersonal situation, but if it's around something that's big picture, one of the reasons why I think people are having such a, a spectrum of reactions is, you know, people like you and, and myself, Antrice, and you as well, Jack, if you are already active in trying to do something, whatever it is, whatever is in your lane about climate change, the movie comes as a relief. It's validating. Mm. But if you're someone that you care deeply, it's not that you don't care and you're a reasonable person, but you haven't taken any actions yet. You might be overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. You might be inundated with all the bullshit that the world requires you to do, like your taxes and student loans and healthcare situations or whatever it is. You have so much on your plate that you haven't gotten to that place of doing something that is different than older habits to actively participate in moving towards a more climate just future. If you're in that space, I get why people are upset because it's like, whoa, I'm an individual. This is a huge problem. I'm not going to be able to solve it. The powers that be aren't even solving it. I get, I get that reaction that, that people have. Um, and I also think it's really interesting that idea of like, there were not solutions given. We want the solutions to be easy. You know, we want the solutions to be like, here's a list of solutions and you do them and you're good. And I find that as well with anti-racism work, like people really want just like, give me an easy list of things I can check off and be done with it already, as opposed to, 
hey, friends, this is a lifelong ongoing process of growth and change and transformation, and it's going to be messy and uncomfortable. Um, So I think that I can really get why people had such different reactions and the information is out there for us to find, but we all, all we can do in a way is like find what our lane is and we don't have to do it all. And I think too, it's something that you both are speaking to. And it's so interesting you say that, Robin, because when I, when Black Lives Matter happened um, in 2020, I was feeling a deep sense of shame. And um, it took me some transformation to realize that shame is the first feeling of growth. And it's like you just said, you have to act on that and say, why am I feeling shame? It's actually an empowering feeling because it means that something doesn't resonate with me and this opportunity for growth. And I think something that may be overlooked a lot in climate change and in the climate movement is that the biggest work is actually with ourselves. And that is why, like both of you said, given being given clear directions, so here are some things you can do, doesn't work because yes, we can recycle more, but if we, unless we start re, re, like questioning the whole system, we're not going to get where we need to be. So I always say that when there is a documentary and you leave the film or the documentary thinking, okay, now I know the answer. It didn't deliver the right way because I want people to have more questions having learned something than they did before they started seeing the film. You know, you want to open up this different mindset of like, what else can I learn? What else is out there to see? And in that regard, I think this movie did that, you know, like it, it was supposed to be funny. It was a satire. It spurred some really deep conversation, which is amazing. People are talking about climate change for the, like, okay, we have been talking about it, but like in a whole different way now. And just to disclose also, actually, Catherine Hayhoe, who we had on our show previously in 2021, she let us know that she actually has been working with Netflix to um, provide some action steps. So Netflix launched something called the Don't Look Up Action Network. So we'll link that in the show note. You can actually go and like, here are some things to get started with. And one of them being have conversations, uh, which we are also big about here on Hate Change. And so that's great. I love that Netflix was like, yeah, let's do this because we need to follow up with something real. And just as a takeaway for all of us, I think it's just sitting down with ourselves. And if we did feel shameful after watching it, why is that? Uh, If we did feel triggered, why did we feel triggered? And if we didn't feel anything, why is that? You know, like this is really a movie, I think, start having some deeper conversation, although it was supposed to be a funny movie, which to me is pretty brilliant. Jack, you talk a lot about um, embodying grief and the role that, that anger also plays in combination in grief. And it feels like this would be a great time if you wanted to share some insights with us on you know, why is it important to embody grief? Because I think one of of the absolutely understandable reactions to this movie is, is to feel like, I'll speak for myself. I felt such a deep pain, you know, seeing like we, when he, when he says in the movie, like, wow, we really did have it all, didn't we? And we live in this incredibly beautiful, abundant world. And people have made it so freaking complicated and it's, it doesn't have to be this painful. Um, so yeah, I find that for myself, there's definitely times when I feel a really, really deep sense of grief and anger. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, first of all, I just want to say with tears in my eyes, I teared up when you were both speaking. I just, I, I'm so grateful and honored to be speaking with you both. Robin, I've never met you before. You're brilliant. Um, I, I, you have a big heart and I know that you're the same and I just, I'm just really taken by both of you and I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. 
So what a good time to talk about grief. So I, I, I think to, to keep it a, a bit simple, you know, what, what is grief, right? Grief is our, is our human response to loss, right? So grief keeps us in touch with what we're losing. If we don't embody our grief, right? And the body part is important. I mean, our, our own bodies are our bridge to the natural world, right? I mean, that's, that's our most immediate connection to the natural world. So grief itself of all the emotions, you know, takes us down, right? It takes us down into ourselves. And I mean, that's one of the only times we don't want to look up, right? Is, is when grief takes us down because it's actually showing us what's up. Um, so, so, so and, it, and it puts us in touch with our pain. So that the pain that we feel, what is pain? You know, pain is a messenger. It says, hey, something is wrong, right? And, and you know, as, as a doctor, as a, as a healthcare worker, you know, for me, it's like, I have to pay attention to what's wrong. You have to pay attention to what's wrong with the patient. You know, when we look at the planet, what, what, what is wrong with the planet? What puts us in touch with that, right? Our, our compassion and compassion and grief, right? Are the, the same kind of territory inside our hearts. So, you know, so, so that's one aspect of grief is it puts us in touch with what's, what's wrong, right? And it opens our hearts. Grief opens our hearts. And from that, comes a heartfelt response to, to act, to do something. So grief also helps us metabolize or deal with that pain. So if we don't deal with the pain that's in our hearts, that pain congeals and it piles up over time, right? And that's trauma, right? That, that it grows over time. And what does that do when it grows up? You can imagine a you know, gunk piling up inside you, which is energetic pain. And it pushes you more and more out of your body. It pushes you more and more into your head, right? Where we lose our connections with our body and we lose our connection to the natural world. So grief not only keeps us connected to the natural world, but, it, but by feeling our grief, embodying our grief, that's how we help clear our pain. Right? That's what grief does is it metabolizes, right? It, 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 like an enzyme it's like our inner emotional enzyme right that that digests our pain so that and 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 from that just naturally from that in my experience is that quick transformation that happens when you really embody your grief that it that it moves you into compassion it moves you into compassionate action there's a quote and i don't remember who said it i think it might be edith eager but she says um you cannot heal what you cannot feel and I think it really speaks to a lot of climate anxiety. And I think we're so afraid of tapping into that because, I mean, listen, we are nature, which we talk a lot about on the show. And right now nature is dying. And there is a part of us that feels that we may be aware of it. We may not be aware of it. And I think a lot of us are holding on to a lot of pain, fear, and grief not really understanding what that is because we literally do not give ourselves permission to tap into that grief. Um, and every time I talk to Jack, he's always like, you need to ground. <laughs> and no matter what it is, if, if I had vertigo the other week and he was like, you need to just ground yourself, girl. And so um, I think it's just a really important reminder to all of us that we need to ground more. And when it comes to climate change, I feel like the the first sort of 
sensation we get is that we need to do more and we need to accelerate that more, you know? So like, what can I do? What can I do when we run all over the place? And, and it's so easy to get lost in that. And before we know it, we're burnt out and we're, you know, kind of just misplaced in our own sense of, of being. And a lot of climate action, action, which I've learned is just about healing ourselves and grounding ourselves and being one with that grief and something so beautiful that you actually write in your book is that climate chaos is a catalyst, an opportunity for regeneration, similar to other heartbreaks. And I think that's just so on point. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit more on that? You know, I, I, I think that what you just spoke about with, with heartbreak is, is what I was just sharing about grief, right? There's that quick transformation that happens if you really take grief to heart and, and, and the positivity, right? Um, or in, in the lexicon of the show, the optimism, right? That comes out of, out of that, that darker feeling, right? So I just, I, I think I want to speak to, you know, something that, that came up when you were speaking about just emotions in general. So we just spoke about grief and, you know, Robin had mentioned anger, which I didn't really speak to. Within each quote unquote negative or dark or difficult emotion is a kernel of, of, of positivity and a kernel of goodness and a kernel of hope and transformation. And I think that the way that we're indoctrinated, the way that we grow up, the way that we're conditioned, we don't have the wisdom, you know, both the, the, the somatic wisdom and the, and the cognitive wisdom to understand how to really work with emotion. And I think a lot of people just turn away from anything that feels bad before they really get to know it. Mm -hmm. Rilke, my favorite poet says, why would you turn away from any sadness? After all, you don't know what magic it's working inside you. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, when you lean into to, to difficulty, and Rilke always spoke about leaning into difficulty, and it's a really tremendous wisdom. And I think it's super important for climate change, because we have to lean into what's difficult if we want to stay present with what's ailing. Yeah. And so, so leaning into the, the emotions that are, that are difficult, if we do that long enough, we find that, wow, this is actually nourishing. This is actually helpful. And you spoke to something, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but in your last little sharing about um, fear, and then you talked about shame, or you talked about triggers, and then you sit with that, right? And you look at what, what that's about for you and what it prompts for you. And I think that that's that's the key, right? Is to have this kind of emotional intelligence. Because if we don't have comfort with our difficult emotions, we can't pay attention to what's most important in life and what matters at the end of the day for all of us. And to, to respond to that other little part that you mentioned, Robin, um, you know, anger, anger and grief, I, I talk about it in the book, you know, anger and grief have this kind of yin and yang relationship, right? So that grief is a yin emotion, it takes us down and yang is this sort of outward um, emotion. And, and they're related in the sense that anger really is, is the response to being injured, right? It's a, it, it's a protective function to, to create a boundary. And grief is the inner dimension of that, right? Grief is what we feel in response to the, to the injury and anger helps protect our grief. And so there's this reciprocal, you know, mutually enhancing relationship between anger and grief. And a lot of people, you know, climate activists and like Charles Eisenstein is one, he said, you know, he doesn't, 
encourage anger. And I say, well, you can't just get rid of anger. You can't get rid of fear. You can't, you can't get rid of these things. So you have to find out how to work with them. And, and anger, you know, we can channel some of that, you know, anger has a, you know, we know the energy of anger. It's, it's outward and it's mobilizing and it's, and it's creating a boundary and it's saying, stop no more. And that's how, you know, we can leverage anger, you know, in our climate activism, not to be angry at everybody, but to use the, the, the core energy of anger to, to even be kind and compassionate, right? To, to meld compassion with anger so that we, we step up, you know, Greta Thunberg, Thun, Thunberg, you know, is, it, it, <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a great example of that, right? So anyway, I hope that speaks a little bit, you know, and in, and in climate care, I, I, I spend a tremendous amount of time going through each emotion, right? Dealing with anxiety, dealing with fear, dealing with grief, dealing, dealing with depression, you know, and how to, how to stay with these things and to harvest goodness from them. Mm-hmm. especially yeah. for the climate movement. Absolutely. I found it so helpful when I, I read feelings are for feeling such mm. a simple idea, but just, I think it was Glennon Doyle. Um, and it, it, it really reminded me because I absolutely was a person that would try to avoid certain emotions. I've, and I worked very hard to try and avoid certain emotions in myself. And I can recognize that that largely has to do with you know, you talked about like how we've been indoctrinated. I really do see it as it's, it's all part of a system that seeks to keep us in a certain place so that certain people can benefit financially is sort of like what it feels like it comes down to for me. Selling happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, we, are, we are taught to understand ourselves in lack and we are taught to see the world in scarcity and really what is actually true is that we are whole. And one of the things that Anne Therese and I talked about in a previous episode is like my sort of word for the year is wholeness, because I came to this realization recently that a mentality of wholeness is an act of resistance to all of these forces that would say to us that you are not enough. So buy this product, you know, you are not enough. So use our service. Um, and I think it's it's really powerful to come to a place of, for me, what I'm what I'm one of the things I'm going to be taking away from this conversation is reinforcing that wholeness has to do with holding space for all the emotions, mm-hmm. grief, anxiety, fear. They all have a role to play, and that ultimately they are in service of us. And I can just add to that because when I started my mission as a climate optimist about eight years ago now, I did not know what that meant. And I thought that to be a climate optimist was to only seek out the positive in this movement and to hold on to those positive news and, and climate optimistic um, movements and whatever. And that the years following was maybe some of my an- most anxious years in my life. I was so angry with the world and was trying to ignore that anger and ignore that fear. Similar to the movie, actually, just like, let's just, you know, don't look up, just focus on what's good out there. But there were so many negative climate news, first of all, that was kind of drowning my positive ones. And I was not paying attention to my fears and my anger or my anxiety at all, because I thought to be a climate optimist was to just close my eyes to everything that was bad. And it took me a really difficult journey to get to where I am today, where I have fully understood that. We need to be whole. Um, to heal ourselves is an act of resilience. It's an act of 
climate action. It is, you know, if we, we can't heal the world unless we heal ourselves first. And some days are just not that great. <laughs> That's also okay. And we have to find the courage to tap into those feelings because it is, it's part of climate action. It really is. And it's coming back to us and it's slowing down and, and going inwards and, and finding that space and, and creating wholeness from within. And in doing so, we are making the world wholer as well. So I just want to say that for anyone who's wanting to be a climate optimist, there are ways to do it the right way and there are ways to do it the very wrong way. And trust me, I had times when I had tantrums in the car like any four-year-old would because I was just so frustrated with the world and I had no outlet to let that out. So yeah, um, this book that you've written, Jack, I, I read it. It's amazing. And I really recommend anyone who wants to be a more grounded and resilient climate activist to read it as well. Robin, that bit that you said about wholeness, right? It's just really opened me up and I so appreciate it. I had that realization when I was in Chinese medicine school, right? Mm. And just, just briefly, the, the model of the five elements, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the five elements. So in Chinese medicine, holistic medicine, the, you know, each of those elements corresponds with an emotion. And some of those emotions are positive, you know, quote unquote positive, and some are quote unquote negative, right? They correspond with the yin and the yang. And the yin yang symbol is the symbol of wholeness, right? So it's the positive and the negative together that make wholeness. And what I realized in, in school was just, you know, I was interested in that the poetry of the medicine, especially, and realizing that, that, that all the emotions create the five elements of wholeness, mm. right? That the full circle of yin and yang. And if we just hang out, you know, on the sunny side, on the yang side, and we miss the yin side, well, that's the definition of imbalance. According to Chinese medicine, that breeds illness, right? So we have to, within ourselves, embrace both the yin and the yang, and then outwardly foster both the yin and the yang. How do we, how do we balance? Because I think, um, you know, for anyone that's listening, you might have this question too, you know, so we're, we're, we're holding space for all the emotions, you know, we're holding space for grief and sadness and anger and shame and all of the uncomfortable emotions that are healthy and important for us to feel and, and to go through and move through. Um, how do we balance that? You know, I, I, I've certainly been in times of my life where it felt so overwhelming that I could barely get out of bed. So I, I think that, you know, I was, I was thinking about this before in your, your last sharing is that, you know, it's not just embodying the emotions, but it's also working with them skillfully. You know, in, in the book, I also describe healthy denial, right? That, that just like there's healthy guilt and healthy shame, like there's, there's a time and a place for these things. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed with grief or sadness or fear. Or we, you know, we can't help it and that's fine. But other times we can, to a degree, modulate, right? And, 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 and just put off feeling something until there's, an, there's a more appropriate time. Of course, if you do that forever, you're just in denial. So there's a skillfulness in, in working with these things. And it's important too, that in the book, I described um, a, a dynamic I call the triangle of resilience relationships. Right, the triangle of resilience, triangles, you know, strongest structure in geometry. And this is how we support ourselves. So this is part of like the 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 the, the yin-yang bolstering. So that you know, and the triangle is composed of three facets: a relationship, a healthy relationship with ourselves, with one another, and with the natural world. Right. So with the difficulty and with the pain 
and with the difficulty and the pain of the climate crisis and in our own personal issues, we need the support of a healthy, emotionally intelligent, right? A wise relationship with, with working with ourselves because we're alone a lot of the time. And also a sense of heartfelt community, supportive community, right? So it's like when I sit with both of you and I hear how you speak and I know what you're dedicated to, I feel relieved. There's a regulation that happens in my nervous system, right? That, that I feel like not only in my, my in front of friends, but, but people who, who are, who are with me in this journey in life. And that's really important. And that's, you know, why, you know, I, I sort of host this, this climate change discussion and support group, like every other week for over three years now. So it's having a sense of that community and then having a relationship with the natural world. Right. I'm a lot of us seek solace in the natural world. And that's so important. And it's really important too, because, you know, we can do all the healing that we want, but ultimately, you know, healing from an embodied place where you're dealing with your humanness and you're not escaping into, you know, a spiritual la la land is, is, is healing as a human being. So it's, it's, it's approaching that sense of wholeness that you described earlier, Robin. And, and we're not alone in that, right? So we need others and, and having a relationship with the natural world. So when our hearts break open through inner work and through healing, right? I mean, my experience working with others is that when you work in a, in a way that's productive, your heart break o- breaks open, you become more loving, you become more compassionate. But what's needed is that connection to what you're going to care about beyond yourself. And if you don't have a relationship with the natural world, you're probably not going to care that much about it unless you just happen to, which I think is the minority of people. So, you know, having this triangle of resilience relationships is, is just saying, you know, this is what we start with. This is our foundation for how humans have lived and thrived for millennia. And that's where we start. And then we can begin the healing process, but keeping that healing process in touch with, in a holistic sense, not only with ourselves, but with our community and with the natural world, right? Then we're healing as a whole. What would you say that action, what, what, what part does action play in the healing process? Like taking actual action towards the world we want to see. Because for me, it's like, I, I totally agree with everything we talked about. But then I also do feel like unless we do start acting towards the world we want to see and become like participate in that change, we also will continue to feel a little bit anxious. So I feel like, you know, there's, for me, the action part is like self-care, it's mental well-being, and it's, you know, making sure that we are shifting towards something better, but I would love to hear your take on it too. So action, I mean, action affects the healing that we need. So I mean, I, I don't know if you're looking for something else, but to me, it's, it seems, it seems obvious in a sense. It's I don't obvious. know if you're asking, yeah, it's like, I mean, if you don't act, right, if you don't help a patient who's dying or who's sick, you know, they'll probably get sicker and they'll, and they'll die. So, so, you know, healing action just, just helps heal and make, make better, make whole what's, uh, what's injured. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm newer to climate action. I'm someone who I am uh, very empathetic, big, big, big heart, wear my emotions on my sleeve, cry often. For many years, I felt dissonance in myself and with the world. 
And it wasn't until I met Anne Therese. <laughs> I attribute a lot of where I am now in my life because of the, I got this beautiful energetic bump when the two of us met, it was like, she like knocked me into a lane that is my lane that I wish I had been inhabiting my whole life. But when I came to climate action in 2019, from meeting you in Therese, from, you know, working with the model activist group and finding this space, for me, it shifted my sense of personal well-being in a way that I think that there are going to be people who are listening to this conversation today who are still looking for that. And I would like to offer a little bit of assurance that you're not going to be able to fix everything, but when you do take up action, whatever it is that you can do, that the effects will not just be outward effects of, okay, well now my family composts, or now I've taken up this you know, I'm, I'm petitioning the local representatives, whatever action you might be taking towards a more climate just future, however, even minute they might be, that all of those action steps are a loop that comes back to nourish your own sense of well-being within yourself. And I'll, I'll speak again from personal experience. When I started taking action, I started feeling about better about myself. I started feeling more optimistic about the world. And I also start to feel a lot more, um, more, more able to be more deeply self-aware about what was going on for me. I was able to face my own struggles with mental health, with depression and anxiety and my own, um, you could say demons, shadows, the things I had been really, really actively ignoring. I was able to come to a place to start to work with those gifts, because that's really what they are. They're not actually bad things. But uh, I will say that it was taking action that led me to a place to be able to feel more whole in myself. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I really appreciate what you said about, you know, the reciprocity, right? So the, the subtitle of my book is Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet. And, you know, I made sure to mention in the book that when you heal the planet, you also heal yourself, right? So that's, that's the reciprocity and, um, and yeah. And, and then the action thing, and we know, you know, Greta, she was in, you know, terrible depression and, you know, claims that climate activism sort of got her out of her rut. And Anne, you've shared similar things with me. Um, so that was beautifully shared, Robin. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I think it's just, I, um, I, I like to come back to like, I'm newer to climate change. And so I feel like a little bit of a bridge of, you know, when you've been doing this for a long time, I imagine it's going to feel different when I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, I'll let you know how it feels, but being new, newer to it, I, it's really easy for me to see um, how, how kind of like toxic it can be to be so wrapped up in the expectations that are sort of like the social norms of, you know, that like golden carrot concept, you know, when we get wrapped up in that, it creates a lot of dissonance. It creates a lot of ill health um, and how there are ways out of it that, you know, that we can do. And so wherever, you know, our listeners are on their own journey of both personal well-being and health, but also on their climate journey, that action is, a, is an important part of it. I like what you were saying, Jack, in terms of the, the triangle, 
it reminds me also of like, I hear this in indigenous wisdom as well. You know, it's, it's the harmony with ourselves, with each other and the planet that mm-hmm. we're, we're like sort of re-returning to, mm-hmm. which is so important for us right now. And I can just add that I have been on this journey for a while, but I still love every single time I put my little food scraps into my composting bin. It makes me <laughs> feel better. So I do think it's something that brings you joy uh, in your everyday life. And it's so important that we give ourselves that that break. You know, it's like we alone cannot save the world. But that is also why, like Jack mentioned, it's so important to find community. May that be a virtual community if you don't know anyone around you, if that means finding someone in your local neighborhood that also cares about the things that you care about and just get active and, you know, even have a weekly call with someone to talk about things. It doesn't always have to be positive. You can just kind of whine together if that's how you want to put it. And, um, you know, giving ourselves and each other space. I think that is something that we're lacking. And back to our earlier reference about don't look up let's look up from our phones every now and then and just be here be in the moment be with ourselves be with nature be with our communities and i think when we start doing that we will begin to recognize that so many of the answers we're looking for are right here within us and there is a lot more to look forward to than we might know and i truly believe there is a bright future we're just gonna find the courage to act on it and I just wanted to let your listeners know that, um, you know, I, I just want to add to your list about when you're talking about community, you know, it, and if you don't find the the support, you know, or the group in your community, you know, start one, mm-hmm. right? Start one up. And and my friend, my climate friend, um, Dean Spillane Walker up in Oregon, he has a, a, a call, a support call and uh, every week. And if anybody wants that contact, and I'll, I'll send it to you. And um, he has a call. You, anybody can jump on and, and just, you know, get climate support. And also when you, when you start meeting with others, it's so much easier to do things together, right? You may feel very alone, like, oh, I can't do anything, or I don't do enough, or what can I do, or I don't have time for this. But once you join with other people, solutions come out of a group that, that don't emerge just alone. So you know, this is, this is a spiral dynamic, right? So that once we start bringing in these different factions of our triangle of resilience, you know, they, they grow upon one another, right? So it's like a spread of a good thing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm just, just want to throw this out. I think our time is kind of coming close to an end. And I just wanted to propose, you know, um, just some, some things, some, some action steps that, that, that people can take and why those are important. If you feel that that's important at this time. That would be wonderful. Yeah. I'd love for you to share that. Thank you. Okay. So, you know, Robin, I, I appreciate what you said about, um, you know, people doing what's in their lane. Right. And, um, and I think that that's really important. And, and I put a big and on that. And I feel like enough of us need to get in a similar lane that we're doing the same things that are needed. And that, to me, that, that same thing, and there's a lot of science behind this, is, is enough of us crossing a threshold of, you know, um, to, to put pressure on government to reduce emissions and to enact policies that reduce emissions. And so the way to do that as far as I can see, the best ways to do that is beyond, beyond personal action is to lobby your local government, whether it's your city council or 
um, you know, your mayor, your governor, whatever it is, get involved with this bottom up surge. And that's the extinction rebellion model, right, is is to act locally. And then that creates this groundswell, you know, of action and change that happens in pods all over the country, all over the world, that, that eventually that tide rises, sorry for the metaphor, um, that, tide, that tide rises, right, to, to, you know, a national level or a federal level. And I feel that, you know, it's not a sexy thing to do. And that's the hard thing with, with, you know, activism is that, is that it's, you know, in my experience, y'all may have a different experience, but, but it's just, you know, it's, it's not, it's not something that people love to do. And, and again, to me, that, that, that highlights this importance, you know, of, of what I was sharing about Rilke before and his advice is to, to lean into the things that are difficult to embrace the, you know, embrace all the goodness. Yes. But also it's important to embrace that other yin side of, of the difficulty, right. And to do things that are a bit of a sacrifice and sacrifice comes from the word sacred, right. So Mm. when we sacrifice, we, we make sacred, we enact something that, that, that is protective and, and, and holy. And so, you know, by going out of our way a little bit to lobby local government, go to a city council meeting, get it, find a strike group, whether it's Extinction Rebellion or Fridays for Future or Sunrise Movement or, you know, whatever it is in, in, in your area and, and join them. And, and, and I think that can really inspire, you know, this, this kind of bottom up surge. Because mm-hmm. we may not have access to the president, but we do have access to our local politicians. Right, right, right. And that, that's, that's the wisdom be- behind that model, right? Yes, I love that. And I, I totally hear that in terms of like, it may not be sexy to be reaching out and doing these things, but this is absolutely the work that needs to be done. Right. And also, I'll just, I'll just plug this because in the collective, our um, online climate community that anyone can join. So anyone is interested there, we'll link something in the show notes. We actually do have a monthly call to action day. So mm-hmm. every month we pick a sort of bill that we want to help pass. And then we give our members information on who the Senate is to call. And just it's as easy as picking up the phone and saying, hey, I am supportive of this bill and I want to see it get passed. And they need to hear from us. And it's, it takes you a 30 seconds. Um, and we have actually had calls back to say, hey, we just want to say thank you for giving your vote to this. So those messages are being heard. And that's just such an incredibly empowering thing to know that you can call in to your office and say, we see this, we want it to happen. Um, so just wanted to plug that too. And I appreciate you bringing up putting pressure on our local electives because there's power right there for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. I saw this amazing video today that talked about how we often talk about how humans are destroying the planet. And she was saying, um, you know, I'd really like to clarify, it's not humans that are destroying the planet. It's billionaires and corporations and certain politicians. There's a specific group of people who are actually driving us in, in a very serious way. And so to, you know, to, to take the pressure off of ourselves of like, it's not me that's directly necessarily killing the planet, but the responsibility still lies with me to do something about it. Right. Jack, if people want to get in touch with you, what's a, what's a way for, for our listeners to learn more about you, to follow you on social? Do you want to share some of that with us? Sure. Anybody can email me. It's just my name at gmail.com, Jack Adam Weber, Weber with one B. 
if you want to ask anything. And I, I post a lot of stuff to my website and there's a lot of um, good healing stuff there. And that's jackadamweber.com. And uh, on social media, it's just my name, Jack Adam Weber. You can look for me. I live in Ojai, O-J-A-I. And I think that's about it. <laughs> I'm on Instagram, yeah. but I don't go there that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Just as we talk about community, you know, I want to invite our listeners, like reach out to us, you know, yeah, find yeah. us, find yeah. like, like find Jack, you know, if you're in, cause Ojai is in California, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you're in the area of you're going there, like there's so many opportunities to connect with people. And yeah. that's part of our triangle. I'm going to be using that now for days. Triangle, <laughs> triangle resilience. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> like, and, oh, yeah. and came to Ojai and that's, that's how we met in person. I was yeah. in LA and we connected on Facebook and he goes, why don't you come to Ojai? And I had no idea what this place was. And I Googled <laughs> it and I'm like, it's a drive away from here. Why not? Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember you telling me about like, I'm going up to meet this really cool guy. It's like, okay, awesome. Be safe. <laughs> and you're oh, awesome. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. And Jack is awesome. So I'm very happy I did yeah. that. Yeah. And um, I met you online, Andrew. So I mean, that's yeah. the thing is, is the way that community looks now. It, it's, it absolutely, I love the, you know, in-person connection. That's so important, but friends, we're out there, you know, we're Mm -hmm. online. So, you know, the, the, the ways that we spend time online, I think can be very constructive or not depending on how we choose to spend our time. (laughs) Jack, why don't, why don't we end this with the question that we like to ask all of our guests and we cannot wait to hear your answer. So (laughs) the question goes, are you a climate optimist? And if so, why or why not? I am a climate optimist. (laughs) Um, I have no choice but to be. And in a nutshell, you know, Anne, we've talked about this and and that the meaning of optimism has to be paradoxical, right? And has to be that we have to accept and embrace the, 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 um, the very difficult and scary aspects of what are going on, what's going on. And, and from that, our, our optimism is a response to that. And I think that encapsulates, you know, what we've discussed, you know, throughout this discussion we had here on that transformation that, that happens in our hearts. And so I feel very down about the, the climate situation and all I keep doing is just I keep composting that that grief and, and fear and concern and anger into uh, into fertile soil as best I can. And I need everybody else to help. And you both are a big help. And I just I just want to end my own sharing with expressing my gratitude again to the both of you, to younger people. And I and I, I read your newsletters and I, I see what you do. I see how active you are. I don't know how you do all of the things that you do, but I'm just thank, I thank the good earth that there are people like you and, and Robin with what you've shared here and what you're doing. And I just um, am so grateful for you and I'm in awe and I support you in any way that I can. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate Thank it you so much. much. Thank you for all the work Thank that you are doing too. Thank you for your beautiful book and your ongoing work to um, to help humanity and the planet. Thank you. We're doing it. We're doing I it. This. I just want to take a moment to be like, 
Hey friends, like we're doing it. We're doing it. Like we're, it's going to (laughs) work. It's working. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's a lot. It's a lot. I know. I, I feel that, but I'm really, really deeply grateful to have made this connection with you today, Jack. Thank you so much for, for being here with us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to leave you with this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?